everyone, and welcome back to the Inclusion Podcast. I'm Dr. Julie Costin, and I'm here with the second part of our podcast with Darlene Hansen. If you want to hear more about who Darlene is, head to the podcast prior to this. But I'll just say that I've known Darlene for 14 years, and uh, she's now going to be doing some work with us in inclusive schooling, and I couldn't be happier. So welcome, Darlene. Welcome back. Thank you. So I just am going to jump right in. Um, can you describe for our listeners what is assistive technology and then um, AAC? Can you describe those two things for us? Yeah, it's important to understand the difference. So assistive technology is the technology that assists you. <laughs> is the technology that we would use in a classroom to help the student uh, participate in the educational experience. Or you could use it outside of the school system as well, but for this purpose in the school setting. So it could be uh, the computer is a piece of assistive technology. The whiteboard is technically a piece of low-tech or no-tech um, uh, assistive technology. Hmm. So sometimes we'll get a request for assistive technology, and that really is how can we help you uh, participate in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Like iPad would be assistive technology or even... Proloquo to go or something like that. That's still assistive technology. Am I right or no? Well, that's where it gets confusing. Okay, so good. iPad could be a form of assistive technology if it's being used for reading, math, um, handwriting, that kind of thing. But when it becomes AAC, which is a, um, alternate and augmentative communication, is when you have like an app on there for communication support. So like Proloquo to go or touch chat or um, the LAMP program, or something for spelling to communicate. Then your, your technology becomes your AAC system. So hmm. AAC is, is something that we're gonna give to a student who, does, who needs to use technology just for communication. Got it. Um, and, and so it, the, by definition, for a person who's not speaking, it's their alternate mode of communication. So when you put in a request, you got to be clear about what is it you're trying to accomplish. Um, is it for educational purposes or is it for communication purposes? And some students need both. Yes, that's, that's fine too. But um, it, they, but they both involve technology, so it starts to get a little confusing. Okay, that helps me a lot, actually. So if it's primarily used to communicate, no matter what they're communicating about, that's AAC, Alternative Augmentative Communication. And if it's just technology used to access content curriculum, to read, to write, that kind of stuff, that might be assistive technology. And so that's where the definition becomes clear. And that, that it, no matter what the student's communicating about, if they primarily need it for communication, it would be AAC, right? And then there's then we define it by um, categories. So there's okay. no tech, okay. which would be a whiteboard. That's not technology, that's just a thing, mm -hmm. right? And, or choice boards, but your classroom curriculum material, those are no tech. But then there's um, low tech, which would be like a button that just says a phrase, maybe. Maybe yes. it says, everybody come sit down or good morning. I mean, you just hit the switch and the button speaks for you. That's low tech. Low tech. High tech, uh, mid tech and high tech get a little confusing because of the iPad, really. Yes. So, so now... Um, the iPad is technically considered high tech, although it's not really that fancy. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's just really brilliant, right? right? So mid tech would be things that we create as systems, um, and and they do have they might have a little bit of they might have some a go talk 
for mm-hmm. example, which is a, a device where you, you press the button and it speaks for you. I have to pre-program it, but I also have to change the pages. Yes. High tech would be things that have what we call a dynamic display so the kids can work through. I press the button for foods and it pops a bunch of food items. Or I press the button for places and it pops a bunch of places that I can talk about or comments and things like that. So another form, really what most people, most of the time we end up talking about for high tech is when we get into eye-based systems Mm -hmm. where people just have to look at something and then the system will tell you what they're looking at and it will talk for them. Those are pretty cool. That is really Um, cool. So yeah, there's different verbiage that we need to know. Great. And if you didn't hear the podcast prior to this, I just need to say it again. Darlene and I are talking about students with the most complex communication needs in our school systems. Um, And so a lot of times we're talking about students who don't yet have access to verbal speech and maybe never will have access to verbal speech. We have to think of all kinds of ways to help people communicate everything they're thinking about. Is there anything else you'd add to that, Darlene? Nope, we're gonna create opportunities and support them to take their turn. Great. In the podcast prior to this, you said that the role of a communication partner is often to create opportunities and then to provide the support and make sure the students have what they need. Um, I just want to back up and ask you a question. And I think it's really common for people to be worried about how do I communicate with a student who doesn't have verbal speech? It is. It's I think we get intimidated. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And my response is. You just do. You communicate with them the same way I'm talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when I'm doing consultations, I'll, you know, work with the individual and then I'll stop and I'll try to paraphrase or elaborate on what I want the team to do. Mm -hmm. And then I have to stop and say, and I really want you to use those words because they think I'm just talking to them and I would say it differently to the student, but I wouldn't. I would say it the same. That's probably the most frequent comment that a feedback that I get from families and professionals that um, on teams that I'm working with is that they, they say things like, I just love how you're talking to him, just like he's talk, like you talk to everybody else. Hmm. And, and so my takeaway is that you noted that because you, you noted that you didn't used to do that. Right. <laughs> um, and that's, that is exactly what I'm doing. So if I'm telling, I could be talking about complex motor planning and I'm going to share that. Every one of my clients knows exactly how motor planning works. Right. Because, right. I just want to pause for a second, Darlene, because I am going to be honest to tell you that when I first met you 14 years ago, it was one thing that struck me. And I, I would say, I believed for myself that I presumed competence of all humans that I was working with, no matter the you know disability label, no matter kind of what what they were showing me in terms of behavior. But there was a difference, and it was that you presumed competence in every step of the process all the way through. So I was able to watch you work with students with complex needs and you would be describing things like, let me tell you that that's motor planning and what motor planning is, right? And so you were giving all the details that you would be giving to support staff, but you were giving it to the student themselves so they understood even where they were struggling. Right, and, and, and that works. So there's a myth out there that students with complex needs probably have low processing skills 
And so we have to talk very simply. I mean, I'm old enough to where in the 70s, I would find myself talking to my nephew who doesn't have any communication impairments in that telegraphic talk because I had spent the whole day at work yeah. saying, go to bus, yes. put on shoe, because that's how we talked because that was how people process. We thought, um, don't do that. Oh my gosh. Cool. Darlene. <laughs> I'm so glad you gave the example and I want you to give a few more. So I am in classrooms often, 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 often where I'm hearing things like time for move, um, you know, or all these kinds of things that you wouldn't talk to any other 12 year old that way. You shouldn't be talking to human beings in that manner. So if you're working with a team that is talking to your kid in that way, for example, if you're a parent listening to this podcast, we really want to rethink that. The only way to learn complex communication is to be surrounded by complex communication. And when everybody in that person's environment is using little truncated phrases that are all requests, um, that certainly isn't a very rich life. And it doesn't allow for a lot of complex thought for students. That's right. So I'm not saying that you go and you give a dissertation <laughs> to a person who's 12 years old. Right. But... You can give all the information in an organized manner so that it makes sense. When you try to chop it up, I think math is the best example. People will say, well, I don't know how to teach them math. And I'm like, well, you don't have to because the textbook guy already figured out how to teach them math. Just follow the directions in the book. Right. <laughs> because don't try and make it any different. That is how you learn math. So we try and oversimplify everything. And then we go, oh, I can't teach it. Well, no, because that's not how you teach it. So just be organized and clear, yes, mm -hmm. but don't be telegraphic and fragmented in your communication. I think one of the, um, I like to do, I'm going to digress a bit here, but mm -hmm. I like, I, I learned how to do some improv. Mm -hmm. um, um, Dr. Ann Donnellan is a good friend of mine, a brilliant woman, and she has a very talented son who happens to be a comedian. He doesn't work in autism. Yeah. Um, but of course, his mom is Ann Donnellan, so he knows autism as a kid growing up. Yes. I learned that, and, and I learned that he was teaching these classes. And I said, that sounds exactly what I need to teach communication partners. So I connected with him and I asked him to teach a class on improv to the parents and the communication partners. Wow. And the, my pivotal moment in like slapping myself upside the head was. He set up a scene where they were supposed to be cooking together mm -hmm. and the parents. And we all know in special ed that when you're cooking, you talk about the ingredients and the materials that you need, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what the parents started doing. Okay, what do you need? You need a spoon and a spatula and a, a, a container to mix it in and a bowl. And, and uh, JD just looked and he stopped and he's like, wait, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And everybody in the special edness of the audience, right? We're like, well, we're doing the scene. Okay. And he's like, no one talks like that when they're cooking. Yeah. You talk about your husbands. You talk about your kids. You just cook. And you talk about the smells and you talk about, <laughs> right? It's a bigger piece. Yes. And I got it. And I stopped everything. And I said, okay, let's just translate what we're experiencing here. Because, and I, I did this. I was a speech and language person. I did this. We just teach people to say what they're doing, but no one talks about what they're doing. Yes. They talk about their experiences, right? And then I would write goals because we would be challenged because so-and-so didn't 
actually learn how to have a conversation because no one has a conversation that is in a list of their schedule of their day. Right. Or isn't a quiz like the other pieces. It's either a quiz or it's a schedule. And what we call that, the difference is that you can have a question, Q&A, right, mm -hmm. which is an interview. Yes. Which is how we do special ed. Yes. Oftentimes, right? I'll ask a question, you give an answer. I'll ask another question, you give an answer. Unless you have the goal where you ask the question and I give the answer. Mm -hmm. But that's it. But that's not a conversation. No. A conversation is a bunch of statements, and then you continue on with your thoughts about my statements. Mm -hmm. It's a comment. It's mm -hmm. it's a um, expression. Of, oh wow! It's it's an it's maybe it's another question, but there's one question for every three or four, five, six, seven comments. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we start teaching that and teaching that kind of thing, which you can do now with augmentative communication, people understand that. Then you get conversational skills. Yes. But that's us limiting people by just setting up Q&A all the time. So I'm just going to make sure people heard that really clearly. The old-fashioned way of teaching people communication was using limited, truncated phrases and lots of questions and speaking about exactly what the human being is doing. I'm picking up my fork. I am, you know, I am whatever. And nobody talks like that. That's called special ed speech and meaning we don't do that anymore. That's not best practice anymore. Best practice is giving people the tools, the skills and the opportunities to have real communication. And it takes time and it takes practice. But the only way students know how to do real communication is through real communication. Um, and and your example of J.D. and the improv group is a good is a really lovely way to think about it. As many of us are so steeped in old fashioned practices and we're so stuck in old ways of doing things that we can't see what's limiting about what we're doing currently. That's right. And we have to expand our thinking. Otherwise, no, they're not going to learn anything differently because we didn't, I tell people, ask a better question. Give an example of, a, uh, I, don't, I know this is way too simple, but a bad question versus a better question. So, not hard. Okay. Um, so teachers will think that they, when I say, okay, let's work on um, comprehension is a good activity to mm -hmm. work on communication through, right? Mm -hmm. And lots of opportunities in the classroom. So I'll say, so what are you guys reading right now? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, we're reading, and then maybe they're reading The Calendar Caterpillar or something, and the kid's in third grade. Mm -hmm. well, there's only so many questions you can ask about The Hungry Caterpillar. You know, what did he eat? Mm -hmm. How did his stomach and, feel? Right. And on this page, and then what happened on this page? You can't really get much dialogue going on. There's no comments to be made. So ask a better question. Get a real book out mm -hmm. that a third grader would want to hear about, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's Captain Underpants. Mm -hmm. Just get something out that actually has some meat to it because you can't ask quite a lot of questions about primer and kindergarten books. They're, they're only who and what questions. Maybe aware. So in this case, before ask a better question, it's get better material. And this would be like a topic of an entire podcast. But I've been in so many places where we're asking older kids to only talk about something that they can independently decode. When if given, let's just say Harry Potter, we can have really fascinating conversations about why do you think Hermione did that? What do you think is going to happen next? Do you think that Ron and Hermione are falling in love, right? These are the kinds of questions that are interesting to older kids, not 
You know, what does the caterpillar's tummy feel like, right? And so it's all about presuming competence in not just the way we talk to kids, but what we talk about. And then can you get to um, the question, which is ask a better question? So give me two examples of this is a question that could be better if. And so do you see what I mean? So if you were studying, um, I'm going to try just winging it here. If you were studying Christopher Columbus. Okay. And a typical question would be, what did he sail on? Or what did he use for transportation? Okay. And the person would point to the boat. Mm -hmm. And then you would, that was his turn in the whole lesson about Christopher Columbus. Whereas you could be asking, um, well, what country did? I mean, you could ask the questions that, He's asking everybody else in the classroom. Right. Those are the questions, right? So what country did Christopher Columbus come from? And then they can say Spain. I think that's right. Um, I, <laughs> and let's name the three ships that he had. Mm-hmm. And then you can name the Pentamen and all of those guys. Right. So those are the better questions. That I think the best way to think about it, and when I go into classrooms, I never want to tell people they have to change everything because that's intimidating and overwhelming for everyone. Yeah. But I want to look for what are you already doing. Yeah. And how can, so my students might be doing the point to boat, point to man, mm-hmm. point to ocean in the Christopher Columbus, mm-hmm. Columbus lesson. Whereas a, I'm going to say, what's everybody else got is their questions. That's right. And so they might be actually talking about diseases brought over, right? They might actually be talking about slavery. So we're taking these complex ideas around Christopher Columbus, and then we're making them way too small, way too tight, way too linear for a student with autism that's quote unquote included. And instead we want to give, and I'll just use, go back to your last podcast. You might have a whiteboard and say, what were the challenges with the ways that we celebrate Christopher Columbus today? Right. And so now we're actually getting into the meat of what everyone else is learning instead of the facts that this kid's being quizzed on. Right. Right. Beautiful. So when I'm just going to recap, I know we took a little turn, but I thought it was fabulous. But how you communicate with a student who doesn't need verbal speech is the same as we're talking now. Make sure the materials are age appropriate, age appropriate, age appropriate, not quote unquote developmentally appropriate because there's no such thing. Um, And that we often think that non-speaking humans need less information. The truth is they need the same amount of information Uh, and maybe in different ways. And that might be in chunked ways, but not in qualitatively different ways. Um, I want to end today's um, podcast by asking you to share uh, the story about Wyatt. And you were able to tell me the story about story about Wyatt before. And I just want you to be able to tell our listeners about Wyatt. So Wyatt, I think I, he was maybe seven when I met him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in fourth grade now. Mm-hmm. So when I met him, he, was, he's a, he is a non-speaking person, mm-hmm. a kid, and mm-hmm. a very active little boy. Um, he was in... He didn't go to school. He went to therapy all day mm. in a one-on-one situation. Um, and that was his life. Um, and he used to talk. His parents talked about how he used to talk and, and it went away. Mm-hmm. So he would tantrum and, and bite and, and run away, never sat down, all these kinds of big challenges in his life. Mm-hmm. So they at the school or the therapy place that they had been going to, one of the um, paras had introduced them to Proloquo to go. So mm-hmm. he did have that new mm-hmm. on his iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started working with him and, no, and saw that he could spell. And he saw that, oh, I can spell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and was kind of excited about that. 
you know, took a few weeks, months to just get him acclimated to the fact that he could communicate more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And when we, when he saw that, and what we saw was this kid that was learning things. He mm-hmm. understood what we were talking about. He loved science. Mm-hmm. He loved math. So his parents said, well, what should we do? So they decided that they would go to um, a local private, they found a private school that he could go to. And actually they picked it because his siblings could also go there. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was a private school in their community. And um, they had a, hired a, a para to mm-hmm. work with him. Mm-hmm. And so he had a trained communication partner. He goes to class and I'm thinking, well, this is going to be interesting because this guy's, you know, kind of hyper and running around all the time and, um, you know, yeah. this is school. And this is school, yeah. It's a private school too. Uh And so um, it wasn't a Montessori school, it was a religious school. So Uh I was having, you know, some reservations. But, anyways, it was a good idea and let's make it work. So I don't know, a couple weeks into it, I go in for my consultation visit to help with the educational process and the communication process. And I was telling Julie that I literally walked in the room and my mouth could have fallen to the ground. Because what I saw was a student who didn't have any of the prerequisite skills. He had taught in two weeks, basically, with the support of his communication partner, that all the entire school environment there, how to communicate with him. Mm-hmm. And so he was using his iPad, which he didn't use that much before, but now he was, it was pro loco to go. And the, his peers were using it to talk to him. <laughs> They had just figured out how to do that. And they would press the buttons while they were talking to him. And then he would see it. And so then he would press those buttons too. So now they're having conversations on the iPad. He was typing to spell. He was doing his math on a number board fairly independently. Hmm. And what ended up was he had this teacher who just said, okay, tell me what's happening and how I can do more. Hmm. Um, And they actually at that school have a person designated as their resource IEP teacher and she was a little confused as to her role because he didn't have any special ed goals. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any educational goals. He was meeting the benchmarks for his grade level. Um, and he was socializing in the whole inclusive experience. It's He's still in, in that school. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not now because of COVID, but right. he's still in that school. And uh, he's, he's one of the top students. And he's still got some challenges, but they're not very difficult to manage for him or us. And uh, he has high expectations of himself as, as do we. And it's a beautiful thing. Mm. I just love that story because we see that often uh, sort of the most challenging kids do the best, the more integrated they are integrated in general ed, integrated with high expectations. Um, Often it's the bigotry of low expectations that occurs in segregated classrooms and settings that is actually the challenge for students. Um, Or if you're getting therapy all day instead of education, or if you're getting therapy all day instead of being with peers. I mean, those are things that are, those are the disabling pieces, right? But as soon as you give people access to a typical life, uh, typical communication, and the only way to do typical communication is with the 26 letters on the keyboard. So you can ask for anything you want. You can say anything you want and you're not limited by other people's beliefs about you. That's really sometimes the magic um, that we see often in school systems. So I love that story about Wyatt. 
I just want to end our um, podcast today by asking you two questions and I'm just getting your off the cuff response to them because I'm certain you've been, you've heard them many times. The first is if we use a device, he won't learn to speak. That's a research-based myth. <laughs> okay. There's tons of research for decades now saying that that does not happen. And in my experience, I have not met anyone who would who does not want to speak. Mm-hmm. Even when it's not working for them, even Wyatt, who mm-hmm. is extremely challenged by his speech, that's what he wants to work on. Mm-hmm. He, he, he doesn't say words. He, he barely says sounds. He doesn't have the breath support to talk. But he wants to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so big, big myth. Okay, big sure. myth. Good. So I'm just going to restate it. And, it's, and the case is... Many kids who will and some who will not ever speak will benefit from the use of all kinds of assistive augmentative communication, right? And so we've got to make sure kids have access to it. It doesn't change their motivation to speak and it doesn't change their ability to speak. The other myth that I want to just have you respond to really quickly is, yes, we will work on communication and access to general education when and only when we get behavior under control. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Why? <laughs> Just if you're working on a behavior that's probably communicative yeah. and trying to not have communication as a part of it. You have to you have to learn how to you have to be empowered to control your environment through appropriate communication. Beautiful. And and you are going to control your environment either way. <laughs> right. I, I work with individuals who are 40 and 50 years old. Yeah. They're still, if they don't have communication, they're still controlling their environment through mm-hmm. communication. It's just through behavioral communication. So you, they have to be worked on together. There's no prerequisites to learning to communicate. You're never too young to learn how to communicate. You're never too old to learn how to communicate. Wow. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. I know that we need to end our podcast. I could talk to you for hours. All I want to make sure is listeners know that Darlene and I are writing a book together. It's going to be published through Brooks and it's going to be all about the how to help students communicate effectively. And we're talking about students with the most complex communication needs. Um, So I want to thank you Darlene, so much for being on this podcast and for our new collaboration together. And I can't wait to get more and more kids access to communication uh, and adults for that matter, too. So uh, thank you for the work that you've been doing and the work that we'll do together. Thank you for having me. Yeah. What a pleasure. Okay, thanks everyone. We're going to sign off. So join us on our next podcast. Uh, And until then, if you didn't hear Darlene's first podcast, head back to the one before and you can get the full story. And please send this to anyone that you know that needs support and or motivation around supporting students with complex communication needs. Thanks everyone.